UAB MedCast is an ongoing medical education podcast. The UAB Division of Continuing Education designates that each episode of this enduring material is worth a maximum of 0.25 AMA PRA Category 1 credit. To collect credit, please visit uabmedicine.org medcast and complete the episode's post-test. Welcome to UAB MedCast, a continuing education podcast for medical professionals. Bringing knowledge to your world. Here's Melanie Cole. Welcome to UAB MedCast. I'm Melanie Cole, and today we're discussing mitral and tricuspid therapies. Joining me in this panel are Dr. Clifton Lewis. He's a cardiothoracic surgeon and an associate professor and the chief of adult cardiac surgery. And Dr. Mustafa Ahmed. He's a cardiologist, an associate professor, and the section chief in interventional cardiology, and they're both at UAB Medicine. Gentlemen, I'm so glad to have you join us today. And Dr. Lewis, I'd like to start with you. What problems can occur with the mitral and tricuspid valves? And tell us about the idea of treating valve disease percutaneously. In terms of types of problems you can have, you know, the the issue um, typically is the valves go bad in one of two ways. Either they leak or they won't open. That's really about the only two problems you can have outside of getting one infected. Um, and, you know, the heart's a pump, and for a pump to work uh, appropriately, it's got to have valves that will open and close. In the old days, the most common diseases of the mitral valve in particular, but also the tricuspid, were related to rheumatic disease. Now, that's still the case in developing countries, but in the Western world, uh, that's not completely gone away, but it's not near as common as it used to be. And a lot of the problems we have with uh, mitral valve disease are either genetic in origin, something we call uh, a degenerative disease or myxomonous degeneration of the mitral valve, uh, or they are related to what we call ischemic heart disease uh, or you know coronary disease, blocked arteries where you damage the mitral valve and it leaks. In terms of the tricuspid valve, uh, most tricuspid valve disease is related to either um, uh, chronic, long-term, untreated, left-sided, or previously treated left-sided valve disease, principally mitral valve disease, or it's related to what we call pulmonary hypertension that you see in people with chronic lung disease and some other entities. And then finally, we see a fair amount of mitral valve uh, disease that's related to uh, atrial fibrillation. And for the most part, what we see is leakage of both of them, and in terms of the tricuspid valve, it's very rare to have it blocked. It's almost always leaking. In terms of therapies, all these percutaneous therapies and minimally invasive operative approaches are leveraged off of prior surgical experience because for decades, the only way you could approach valvular heart disease was by operating on the heart, Uh, for the most part through a midline sternal incision, then later through the minimally invasive approaches, primarily through the right chest, and then, uh, even then, we, we came across a fair number of people that you just could not treat surgically. They just would not survive open-heart surgery, whether it's through a midline incision or through small ones. And so percutaneous therapies were developed because there were millions of people uh, every year in the Western world that were dying from uh, untreated mitral valve and tricuspid valve disease. And that's where Dr. Ahmed comes in. Uh, he's part of a, a movement in cardiology and almost like a hybrid cardiologist, cardiac surgeon. They're called structural cardiologists. And those are the people that do percutaneous treatments of the valves that mirror uh, old cardiac surgery operations. And 
It's really been uh, revolutionized the treatment of valvular heart disease. Do you have anything to add to that, Mustafa? About 15 years ago, there was an important piece of work that came out, and it basically said valvular heart disease in the Western world is an epidemic. And so what that means is a very large amount of people, when you look at their hearts, they have at least, you know, bad, uh, bad or very bad um, leaky valves or tight valves. And it was much, much more than we ever thought. And what's also noticeable about medicine now is the older population continues to get older. And in many ways, in addition to what Dr. Lewis was talking about, as we get older, the prevalence, so the amount of people that have bad valve disease increases exponentially. But when you look at the younger population, almost always surgery, you know, open heart type surgery is the best option, whether that's you do it minimally invasive or not. But as you look at a much older population, open heart surgery takes a very different toll on a patient and you were left with these millions of people without a treatment and the movement of there's no there's no good medical therapy so there's no medicine that fixes the valve itself when it comes to valves going bad whether that's the mitral or the tricuspid valve it can be either because the heart's gone bad in which case we try and give medicines that focus on the heart or it's because the valve's gone bad but when it comes to the valve being bad there is not a single medicine that we have been able to find that can fix or reverse that and so the only way to do that is either an operation or to do one of these percutaneous which means through a small tube typically through the leg fix it and the the technology over the last 10 years has grown faster than we ever could have imagined and that's what Dr. Lewis was saying it's led to this hybrid approach where cardiac surgeons interventional structural cardiologists are getting together looking at every single valve which might be different and trying to come up with what's the single best thing for that patient. So then Dr. Ahmed, speak about some of those percutaneous, minimally invasive options that UAB specializes in, whether it's mini or robot. Tell us a little bit about the latest in transcatheter mitral valve replacement field. Tell us what's going on. I'm going to start talking about this, then let Dr. Lewis kind of take over on this because I'll give you an example of a patient that would come in. So, you know, we see hundreds, if not thousands, probably thousands of these patients with valve disease per year. And when each patient comes in, there's, it used to be that that patient would go to a heart surgeon or that patient would go to a cardiologist and, and a decision be made about what to do by that individual. Now what happens is, we'll give you an example of someone that comes in that may be 70 or 80 years old and has a bad valve. Let's talk about the mitral valve. So the first thing to do is to say, okay, how bad is that valve? So there's two very important things here. One is to say, let's really look in, in a lot of detail at that valve using three-dimensional echocardiographic techniques, MRI techniques, maybe CT techniques and others to really get it right. Because what's done, what's done wrong a lot is people with you know not bad disease actually have severe disease. People sent for operations may not have severe disease and so the whole focus of a modern valve program is this heart team approach which involves surgeons, cardiologists, interventionalists, imagers. You get together and say, okay, first let's assess this and see what's happened. So let's look at the situation where we have a valve, we know it's bad and something needs done. So what happens is then I will sit, for example, with Dr. Lewis 
and we'll say, we've got this patient, and we'll talk about the advantages and disadvantages of each approach. So in a minute, Dr. Lewis is going to talk about not just open heart surgery, but one of the things that you know is very important to realize is a lot of that can be done through a very small incision. So he's going to talk about minimally invasive mitral and tricuspid valve therapies, and even robotic, where you just basically have tiny incisions on the chest wall. But then we talk about percutaneous approaches also. What does percutaneous mean? It basically means you go through the skin into a blood vessel, you get to avoid making cuts and having to stop the heart, and you go up typically a vein, you go into, you know, through a very small tube, um, and you go to the valve itself and start to fix that valve. And that, you know, what was no options 10, 12 years ago has now become multiple options. One of the options for a leaky valve, for example, would be the mitral valve clip, where we would go take the bit of the valve that's, you know, come apart and causing the leak and put a clip on there and bring it together. We're now on the fourth generation of the mitral valve clip. And, uh, you know, UAB is, is one of the leaders in the world uh, in mitral clip programs, a very mature program that allows for, you know, treatment of a lot of patients. But what we have also realized over the years is there's a right and a wrong patient for the mitral valve clip. So selecting the right patient, doing it in the right way with an experienced team is key. But then when you've got the patient that's not the right patient for a clip, there's now other options. There's a number of trials ongoing, which we are fortunate enough to be able to enroll a lot of people in. For example, working together with Dr. Lewis and the surgical team to go in through the heart while the heart's still beating and put a whole new valve in. And we, we are one of, again, the country's most uh, mature programs when it comes to putting those in. And what was one option has now become three or four different options of valves in. For example, people that had old heart valves that have now degenerated, we can go in in about 20 minutes time, go in, go through into the heart, and put a whole new heart valve in, be done, and wake that patient up within 20 minutes after that. And they can be walking around one or two hours after the procedure. And it, even for us who do this, and again, we do a lot of these procedures together, even we get shocked at the impact you can make through such a small incision and have that patient literally going home the next morning. Dr. Lewis, I'm going to hand over to you to talk about some of the surgical approaches. The issue that uh, Dr. Ahmed's talking about really is, is tailoring the treatment to the patient instead of trying to tailor the patient to the treatment. And that's basically what we did when all you had was a surgical approach. Now that having been said, surgical mitral valve repair um, remains sort of the gold standard of, um, of mitral valve surgery, particularly for mitral valve leakage. And even replacement remains a gold standard as opposed to percutaneous. And the reason for that is we know the long-term outcomes of those, and I'm speaking about 15, 20-year outcomes. If you're going to do a percutaneous or a minimally invasive option, you've got to reach those standards. You know, you can't compromise those in a healthy patient. Our issue has always been the elderly, infirm, and unhealthy patient that really desperately needed a, a heart operation, but they, you, you, you knew they wouldn't uh, withstand it. Like the old saying, you know, the operation's a success and the patient died, that's always a bad deal. It's a bad trade-off. So what we do is we look first and say, well, does the valve need to be treated? If it does, can you operate on them with um, a margin of safety? It's never perfectly safe. There's always some risk. And you can stratify, risk stratify people. And if the risk for an operation is excessive, 
then we look for alternatives and we say, well, can we clip them? Can we replace them percutaneously through the groin? Can, do they need to be enrolled in one of these mitral replacements where we do it through the, a beating heart in the apex or the, the bottom of the heart? What we're trying to do is avoid um, exposing people to unnecessary risk but still give them a quality result. Um, and, you know, one of the interesting things about that is that not only have we been able to treat a lot more patients, we've also been able to lower the operative mortality, not eliminate it, but lower the operative mortality for mitral valve surgery. And in the old days, it'd be your risk would vary um, from uh, about half a percent for somebody this young and healthy for mitral valve repair to upwards of 40 or 50 percent for desperately ill old people that needed a mitral replacement. So we've been able to get rid of some of those 40 or 50% operative risk patients, move them into percutaneous, minimally invasive approaches, and lower our overall risk. And so we treat more people and we have fewer deaths, and, uh, and, I, and that's really been revolutionized the treatment. So in terms of minimally invasive surgery or standard surgery, the thing to know is there's nothing wrong with a, a full sternal incision for heart surgery. Um, it, 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 it's, it's really hard to die from opening a person's sternum. So if you need it, patients need to know that it's not the end of the world to have your breastbone open. Now, if you can do an equivalent job, if you're going to do open heart surgery on people, if you can do an equivalent job through small incisions and not divide the sternum, it's certainly advantageous for the patient. It, it doesn't necessarily decrease risk, but what it does do is decrease misery. The primary problem with a sternal incision is it, it takes too much to recover from it. It's unsightly. It's, it's really unpleasant. So if you can do the same quality operation through the right chest, through a robotic, minimally invasive approach, it's helpful, uh, but it does, it's not necessarily less risky. The, if you have somebody that's high risk, what you want to do is not do open-heart surgery, be that sternal incision or a robotic, minimally invasive approach, then you want to start looking for percutaneous options. And that's really what Dr. Ahmed's talking about in terms of cooperative approaches, this sort of hybrid um, medical doctor-surgeon where you, you tailor, again, the therapy for the uh, patient instead of the other way around. And I'll add to that, if, if you want to have the best valve program you can possibly have, there's a few very important things. I mean, you have to have a very strong team that can assess valve disease and actually make the right call because if the wrong call is made in the first place the entire train starts and you can end up doing things on people that never need doing in the first place and, and this is prevalent in the United States um, one very sobering thing about valve diseases there are very few experts the, when you look at cardiac surgery and this is an important point most cardiac surgeons in the United States will list as doing valve repair very few doing meaningful amount. The, ma the majority of cardiac surgeons might do less than five mitral valve operations a year. And this is an important point because a lot of job as a valve specialist on, on our side is to make sure when you send a patient for a procedure, a repair, you get a repair and not a replacement. When you send a patient for a replacement, that it's durable and done in the right way with the right size. And that takes experience. So that experience and team approach is important. You need the people assessing the valve. You need the surgeons to be world-class and experienced surgeons, and you need the interventionalists to have had training and experience, which allows you to come to the table and give the right option, because 
If not, what happens is you get a patient and say, you know, um, for a surgical valve that can be repaired, the gold standard is to go and have that valve repaired unless the patient is not a surgical candidate. But if you are in a program where, oh, you know, the surgeon is not used to doing that, then of course what happens, you end up having it done what sounds a better way, but you may be back in that operating room in a much worse position in a few years because you made the wrong decision up front. So, so that's really what's the most important part. It's, it's called program. There's no individual in a VAL program that can make that VAL program run on its own. It's a collection of uh, experienced and trained individuals that really do present every option. So the typical, you know, even this week, a typical option would be, okay, someone comes in. Do you need a stenotomy open heart surgery? But are your arteries bad? If your arteries are bad, you may need opening and you may need the, the, the bypass surgery and a valve done, or you may need a valve replacement, or you may need the valve repair. That may need to be done robotically, or it may need to be done through a very small incision, or it may need to be done through a slightly larger incision, or both valves may need addressing, or the patient might need stents and it done in a percutaneous way because they're not a good surgical candidate really, really need to be careful not to have a one-size-fits-all program. It needs to be, is that the best patient for a clip? Yes or no. Is that the best patient for a new valve? Yes or no. And that decision, uh, at UAB, we actually have a dedicated meeting, and we have several surgeons, a lot of cardiologists, imagers, radiographers, ultrasound specialists. We actually sit in, you know, well, now in social distancing, we sit on Zoom, but, you know, we actually get together as a group for an hour every single week, at least once, if not several more times, and discuss almost every single case to make sure everyone is in agreement that that is that patient's best option. And that's, that's the movement where, where this needs to head. And that's, that's where the model of a center of excellence comes in. What an exciting time to be in your field and such important points for referring physicians, doctors. So I'd like to give you each a chance to wrap up. Dr. Lewis, starting with you here, do you have any clinical trials research you'd like to mention or let other providers know about? Tell us a little bit about the future or areas of work being developed at UAB. So we're involved in a number of trials. Almost all the, the, the research trials um, are uh, percutaneous options or beating heart surgery valve replacement. The one we've had the most experience in thus far are the following, ten, what's called a 10-dime mitral valve replacement that's done through a small incision in the uh, left side of the chest and uh, through the, the bottom of the heart, and you basically poke a hole in the heart in a tube and then replace the mitral valve. Um, and then the other one is the, there's some ongoing mitral clip uh, trials that Dr. Ahmed is uh, running. Um, our part in it is to help them decide who, who needs a clip and who doesn't. Uh, there are some uh, what's called a triclip where you can uh, repair the tricuspid valve percutaneously, and we have just now started enrolling patients in, in that um, study. Um, and um, there, are another one, there are some other ones that are coming down the pike, uh, they, uh, particularly involving uh, transcatheter aortic valve replacement that uh, we will be uh, study centers for. Um, one of the most interesting um, ones really is what's called the triclip. That's where you put a, what's essentially a modified mitral clip on the tricuspid valve. The tricuspid valve is what commonly referred to as a forgotten valve. We used to think that tricuspid leakage was number one innocuous until it got really bad 
And then once it got really bad, we thought it was deadly and you couldn't do anything about it. We've increasingly been able to recognize how bad it is for people to be left with severe tricuspid insufficiency. And a large part of our practice now is devoted to repairing tricuspid valves. A lot of them have been operated on before, so uh, but we're able to fix them with a tricuspid valve unless they're just really sick, and then we can enroll them in this triclip research trial. And I, there's some other ones that I think Dr. Ahmed can tell us about that he's getting ready to start enrolling as well. Mustafa? Research is very important uh, when we talk to patients about research. Research doesn't mean, oh, we're going to try something experimental. What research means is technologies that have had, you know, gone through robust testing that have been used in trials already, uh, typically, in order for them to be made widely available. And, you know, a lot of these therapies have just changed the way medicine is. It's exciting to be able to get access to those, but patients in trials are watched more closely than any other patient in medicine. I mean, it's incredible the care and the attention that someone gets. It's actually much harder to get into a trial, and most people, you know, you can't necessarily get in, but we, we try our hardest to get people in. So with the MitraClip, you know, we have the MitraClip G4. We were one of the first in the world to use that system, and it's the latest version of the clip, which has really changed the way MitraClip is done. It allows harder cases to be performed. It allows a, you know, a more probably lasting result, and it allows technically a very different and more straightforward approach to, to fixing the valve. So that is ongoing now, and we've enrolled several patients in the MitraClip G4 registry. The tendine valve that Lewis was talking about is still ongoing. That should be ongoing for a good while we, we've had good experience with with implanting this and we work together to do that that's putting a new valve in while keeping the heart beating there's one or two other trials which we are considering starting soon you know the, the goal is not to have so many trials that you just have them the goal is to get the right trials in so there's all the different options and 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 have an experienced team that does it again and again and again and so there are several options on the mitral side on the tricuspid side, the main excitement now is about the triluminate trial. We really strongly do advise patients that are getting tricuspid clip, go to your local, if you have that. I know there's a few, there's, there's a few sites in the country now that have the triluminate trial. That is where you should go and get that done because you are watched carefully. You have large teams of people in there making sure that result is good. But importantly, rather than just using the mitra clip, which is not designed for the tricuspid valve, that's what's being done uh, now it's actually a dedicated system for the tricuspid valve and the results you know preliminarily are just very exciting for that and um, the triluminate trial is ongoing and then there's talks of trials where we are actually going to place new valves in the tricuspid position so those trials are ongoing too as well as the paravalval leak trials which we are shortly starting which is where a new plug that can holes around the valve that have been placed surgically previously uh, we're going to have very early access to the newest generation of plug which is potentially designed just to try and fit in those leaks better get rid of those leaks and and be done in a way which is very minimally invasive and you know the amazing thing about this field if we talk to you in six months time 12 months time 24 months time that whole field would be changing again and it's just moving at such a fast pace. Um, very exciting time for patients and, and for valve disease in general. 
Wow, it certainly is. And thank you, gentlemen, so much for joining us today and sharing your incredible expertise for other providers. What a fascinating topic today. A community physician can refer a patient to UAB Medicine by calling the MIST line at 1-800-UAB-MIST. That concludes this episode of UAB MedCast. For more information on resources available at UAB Medicine, please visit our website at uabmedicine.org physician. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and all the other UAB Medicine podcasts. I'm Melanie Cole. 